Hello and welcome to the Stories About Autism podcast. My name is James, I'm your host and each week I get to speak to a special guest who will tell me their own story about autism. This is season two, episode three. So if you're a first time listener, please try and go back and listen to some of the other stories. There's some really interesting stuff there from uh, lots of different people who have a connection to autism. Basically, I'm a dad of two boys, Jude and Tommy, and they're both autistic. And I write a blog called Stories About Autism. And over the last three years of doing that, I've managed to meet and speak with lots and lots of amazing people all over the world who have really helped me learn so much about autism, about my boys, and helped me, I guess, become the best dad I can be for them. So that's what I try to do here with this podcast, is get to speak to different people, let them tell their story, and just educate the world a little bit more about autism, and hopefully you'll learn something new or maybe look at things a little bit differently. So that means I get to speak to parents of children who are autistic, autistic adults, and professionals who work with the autism community, such as teachers, speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, etc. So this week, as I said, uh, season two, episode three, I'm speaking with Mark Carter, who, when I say these words, you might think, ah, that's who he is. So Mark was behind the Little Blue Cup story, which went viral a couple of years ago. I won't go into too much detail, I'll let him explain that, but if you remember the Tommy Tippy Little Blue Cup um, was all over social media, then Mark will soon tell you why. Uh, Mark's a dad, full-time carer, and he has three autistic children. Um, And yeah, he shares what life is like for them, uh, what autism means for each of his children, and what it means for them as a family. I was lucky enough to meet him about six months ago at the BAPS Awards, which some of you who follow me on Facebook and Instagram might remember. Um, basically, BAPS is the Bloody Awesome Parents Blogging Awards, and it's a chance where all different bloggers get together and get to say hello and meet each other and... So yeah, I was lucky enough to meet Mark there and have a chat and get to know him a bit more in person. And yeah, I couldn't wait to get him on the podcast because I knew he'd be a really interesting guest. If you haven't done already and you enjoy this episode, please, when you're finished, could you head over to iTunes and give it a review? Uh, It really helps more people find out about the podcast. And I'd love to get your comments and messages uh, on what, what you thought about it. It helps me make the podcast better and also just gives me an idea of um, how it's being received. So yeah, please keep that up. I'll be releasing a podcast every week between now and Christmas, so there's lots and lots of exciting guests for you to uh, look forward to. Anyway, here's my chat with Mark. I hope you enjoy listening. Okay, Mark, hello. Hi, James, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Good. Well, thanks for taking the time to uh, join me today and uh, have a chat. That's great. No worries. I've been following you for a while, so I, I know a little bit about you and your story. But do you want to share for the for the listeners um, a bit about you and your family? Yeah, so I'm Mark. I'm 44. I live in uh, Mid Wales with my wife, Mandy, and I've got three children. I've got um, Sammy, my stepson. He's 26. Um, he's autistic and has a condition called Soto Syndrome. 
and he has learning disabilities. And then Ben is 16 and he's autistic, severe learning disabilities, nonverbal. And then my little girl is 13 going on 33 and she's, <laughs> she's autistic, um, fairly high functioning, um, learning disabilities and just little monster all around really. So it's fair to say your family has a pretty deep connection to autism. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know my stuff, I guess. <laughs> okay, so I thought I'd start with like how I first ever heard about about you and your family, um, okay, and yeah. then sort of go back to the beginning after that. So first, I knew, and I'm sure lots of people will go, "Ah, oh, yeah, okay," is with the little blue cup episode and how that sort of blew up and went viral all across the world. So, do you want to tell everyone a bit about that? Yeah, that's um, it's actually two years old any day no now. Way, is it two years? Yeah, two years. Oh. I think it's the fourteenth or maybe something around there. Um, I needed Ben needed a replacement um, little blue cup. He uses a Tommy Tippy Sippy cup, little two handle cup, last made um, about fifteen years ago now. Um, we'd had a couple through his life, but he needed um, a replacement quite urgently. We couldn't find one. Ben actually refuses to drink out of anything else and has dehydrated himself on a couple of occasions by choice just to show how extreme it can be he went for five days without fluids once before five we had to hospitalize him yeah i couldn't go an afternoon without a drink i don't know about you yeah i've got um, one sitting next he, to me right now <laughs> yeah me too yeah. he just gave up he, he had tonsillitis and um, because he associates drink with food he didn't want to eat so he wouldn't drink um, right. Because he wasn't drinking, so he just shut down. And there's nothing we can, couldn't get any medicine into him because that has to go in via his drink. So he wasn't getting better. Our hospital didn't want him, but doctors said, "Oh, he's okay in bed. Leave him alone." Eventually, they took him into hospital. But it was scary, and I didn't want to go anywhere near that again. So I just thought I'll put something on Twitter, which I barely used, at about 20 followers, and I just thought I'd tweet out reward for a cup like this and a photo, and um. Overnight, it went viral. I didn't even realise I was at a carers' event down in Devon the next day, which is where I was living at the time. And um, my brother asked me why I was trending on BBC News. He sent me a text. <laughs> so what? And literally, the BBC News website. It was my story, and then Donald Trump from the week before, who just won the election. So um, it was yeah, a bit surreal, really. And then all the phone calls started coming in. We found cups over the next few days. We found 88 cups around the world. Really? Furthest one came from Australia. And then Tommy Tippy, um, who'd been looking desperately for some stock, um, they announced after a week that they'd um, found the moulds in China and they were going to make Ben 500 new cups. Yeah, I remember that. More than enough to last him for the rest of his life. So, <laughs> so is your house just full of Tommy Tippy cups now? No, they, they actually warehouse them for me. I just ring them oh, up really? or email them when I want one and they'll send Brilliant. it down. We tend to replace it every few months so it doesn't wear out, so it doesn't look any different. So when we swap it, it looks exactly the same as the one we got rid of. Yeah. Um, because transitioning to a new cup, he's like, that's not my cup. It doesn't look the same. It's not got the scratches on it mm. and the bite marks. He's um, he's that pedantic. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bless him. So when, well, I, I guess obviously he's used that cup pretty much from from when he was able to use the cup, right? Is that... Yeah, that's the only cup he's ever used. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a, yeah, quite yeah. 
And I got a lot of um, horrible messages at the time. Oh, we'll drink out of something else. A lot of ignorant stuff about oh, we'll drink when he's yeah. thirsty. I got some hate messages and stuff and some horrible stuff. But it's uh, at the end of the day, I wasn't doing it for fun. If, if he would, it'd be so much easier just to give him a glass of <laughs> glass of squash or something. Yeah. You know, he's 16 now. He's 16 in two weeks. But he wasn't going to use it. It's just never going to happen. And he he could be poorly. So, yeah, we uh, we searched high and low and the world came good. So. Well, it just shows you that the power of the internet at times can be amazing. Yeah, it did some good stuff. I mean, people were saying it was literally because they wanted a good story after Donald Trump. Everyone was looking for something good on the internet. Um, <laughs> yeah, good timing. I, yeah, it was. It possibly was, and it was. Um, it was a perfect storm. It was at the right time. It got retweeted by a couple of celebrities. It just went viral, and all the newspapers wanted to know, and all the media wanted to know. I actually just said no to interviews at one point because it was I was getting sort of 10, 15 calls a day. Will I be on TV here and there? And I just couldn't possibly do it. I've got to look yeah. after the kids as well. And it all got a bit much emotionally as well. It's quite draining. Yeah, I bet having to repeat sort of the same story over and over and over. Yeah, they all ask exactly the same questions. So mm. <laughs> nothing new at all. I'll, I'll, I'll try and come up with some new ones today. So. No, you're, uh, <laughs> I've told the story for ages. Yeah, um, And then obviously from that, from finding the, the the cups for Ben it sort of transformed into something even bigger didn't it yeah so first of all a dad contacted me and said could I help him sort of go viral so if I knew that I'd, I'd be a very rich person I wouldn't, wouldn't have to worry again um, but I'd certainly share it and um, shared it around a little bit and because it was still some momentum we found a couple of cups and other parents started coming forward asking for cups and I thought I honestly thought Ben was the only person, the yeah. only child who needed it this badly. And there was a, a young lad in America who was literally lying in a hospital bed with a drip in his arm, um, had to be heavily sedated because otherwise he pulled the drip out. And he needed a cup very similar to Ben's. And um, I spoke to Tommy Tippy, who said they'd got something similar and sent some over and actually they, they worked. But from there, it just sort of evolved into a project. I want, always wanted to make something more of it because I didn't want to, when I was going on television, I didn't want to just talk about Ben and the cup, even though I'd, I'd found some. So I didn't want to keep going on about it. It was the stories out there. People know. I wanted to start talking about autism and I wanted to start talking about this is why autism is complicated. Yeah. Which is really what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, it's the, 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 the biggest story behind this is that there's more to autism than, than it, than it looks like on the surface. And, so I registered Little Blue Cup, which I thought had a bit of a ring to it and was also quite unique. And when you search for it, everything just comes up on the front page of Google, which is quite handy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it just sort of, I set up a Facebook page and started helping people. And first of all, there was one person a week coming through and then two and then 10. And we now help probably five to 10 people a day. Is it that um, many? Wow. We, don't most of the searches don't ever get to the main page because we find we've got a team of 60 people who behind the scenes um we've got a private group and we put the items in there and they'll go out and search around the world in their their own, own favorite places with their own search terms and they'll find the items in places you wouldn't expect to look and we're really successful at that and then every now and then we'll hit a stumbling block so we make that one go to a full search and we'll put that up on the page and we ask our 33 34,000 followers if they'll help at all and all we ask them to do is share because everyone's going i haven't got one of those in the cupboard well we don't yeah. expect to but if everybody shared it 
10 times or to, to 10 people and they all shared it to 10 people. You can see the power, can't you? Yeah. Um, and it's always somebody's friend's friends who's got it. They'll pop up. They don't follow us, but they've got, I've just seen this on my timeline. I've got one of those for them and they're really excited and they then join in and they, they want to share it. And that's how it happens. And that's as simple as a project is. It's very cheap to run. It's very low maintenance and it, it changes lives. It's really sweet. I mean, some of the things we do, we find teddies, a lot of blankets, which is quite a strange thing, but I suppose a lot of kids have like a, um, you know, blanket or a corner, whatever they call them when they're little and they don't get over that and they keep it. A lot of toys, um, cause obviously they break and if it's an older toy, you can't find it anymore. Um, some of our children just want that same toy, don't they? Yeah. And yeah, we, we're pretty, pretty good at it really. And it's, it's a lovely little project now and it's got a bit of, um, bit of fame behind it and always helps. So yeah, it's good. That's fantastic. It's such a, it's something that you wouldn't think of. Like you said, you know, it no. shows that autism is a bit more complex than people realize. Like, you know, for, for Jude and Tommy, there isn't anything that they're that obsessed by that if it breaks yeah. or it goes, then we can pretty much get over it and move on. But yeah, obviously for, for many people, it's not like that. Yeah. And it's possibly partly because you're good at making sure they don't get into too much of a routine with one single item. Because that's not healthy. Um, yeah, I, if they, I wouldn't. If like they just things. use one cup yeah. forever, you know, that's it's not a good thing. Um, Ben's was by accident. We, if we thought about it at the time, we would have changed it every week when he was little. But yeah. you don't think of that, do you? No, of course not. And um, especially sometimes you're just happy that they're drinking. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And I mean, I don't know if it ever was for Ben, but I know, you know, for lots of families, it is just however you get a drink inside them, then that's great. And I guess totally. after years and years, it just becomes a habit and a routine. Yeah, I mean, we get people saying, oh, we shouldn't be using a baby cup. You know, what's it got to do with you? At the end yeah. of the day, he, he drinks. And uh, yeah, if somebody saw him for the first time, he looks funny. He's a, a mm. big, he's six foot tall now and he uses his tiny little blue cup. He does look, <laughs> he does look funny and it's absolutely fine. That's what he is. And he loves, he loves it. But it's the only way he'll drink. Um, we have to fill it up fifty times a day because it's so small. <laughs> but it's uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a lovely little project. But yeah. you wouldn't have thought to go and set it up. You wouldn't think I know what I'll do. I'll go and set up a project to help people with disabilities find things that they might have might never find anywhere else. But it just it was all a, a, a lovely accident, really. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. All right, so as I said, that that's sort of how I first ever found out about you and Ben and. And we've obviously got to know you a little bit since then. So let, let's go back to the beginning. Um, I mean, you said you, your stepson is autistic, right? So was yeah. that sort of your first experience of autism? Did you know anything about it before then? Or? I, I knew very little about it. My, um, I met Mandy when Sammy was six. And she, you know, she said he's autistic. And we met and he's a, a fantastic kid. And we got on really well. And I kind of immediately got you know we got together pretty quickly it was we were right for each other and i very quickly got into this routine of fighting social services and schools and all the battles that we have yeah but i, I didn't have the, the slow introduction to it suddenly he needed to go to school and schools were saying no and it was like right okay battle time just <laughs> quite an odd way to get into autism uh get to know about autism if, if, you know really but it was um I'd, I'd heard of it. I hadn't really come across anybody. I'd seen Rain Man like everybody else. Yeah. And 
I didn't have any real preconceptions of it because I just didn't think about it. I was mid-twenties and didn't really pass me much thought. But no, he was a, an amazing kid. And um, he still is. He's a great lad, but his needs are complicated. Um, he's he's able to talk. We can't stop him talking most days. Um, <laughs> but he's he's got a condition called Soto syndrome, which is related to giganticism. Um, and he's got a cyst on his brain that has to be monitored. Oh, um, wow. But he's... He's always been a big lad, so at sort of 10 years old, he was approaching six foot, yeah. which has meant everyone wants to fight him. He's also very well built, and he's a real soppy thing, <laughs> so that's never, that's never turned out well until he gets – then he gets aggressive, and he'll, he'll, he'll will fight back. And because he's so big, the kids to fight him are usually half his size, and they end up going to flying across the classroom, so <laughs> and he'd get in trouble. Yeah. So it's, it's not really ideal for him, bless him, but he's a – He's um he's come on leaps and bounds. He's done well. He's been through school, um, very basic qualifications, and then he's gone and done um, specialist college when we were living in the Midlands, which was fantastic for him. Gave him a lot of self confidence, and now he just wants to chill and game. And at the moment, we're happy for that. He doesn't need to work. We think it'd be a lot more complicated for him to work. Hmm. So we we just let him kind of get on with life. Make sure he gets exercise and gets out of the house and. He can't rot in his bedroom. He can't leave dirty plates lying around and <laughs> basic stuff. But if he wants to game, he games. So, you know, he makes his own YouTube videos and he's a Doctor Who addict. And, um, oh, really? Yeah, he's got his own Doctor Who YouTube channels and things. And he's uh, he has a lot of fun. So he's a, he's a happy lad. He's a good boy. So then is it Ben who came next? Yeah, then it's Ben. Yeah. So Ben was born uh, 2002. So we've been together a couple of years. And... Quite soon, we, we had a really difficult time when he was born. He would not take milk. He would just bring it back up every time. And they were, oh, it's colic, oh, it's this, or he's got a milk allergy. And we, he was weaned at three months old. He was literally going on to solid foods at three months old, obviously liquidized and things. But And he, from when he should be aware and when he should be reacting and interacting, he just wasn't. He missed every single milestone. And I think it hit me most. He was 14 months old, so it was Christmas time. 13 months old, it would have been Christmas time. And we bought him one of those little kiddie cars that they all have with a, with a plastic roof over the top. Yeah. And I, got, I put him in it and took a picture. And the picture, when it came back from Snappy Snaps, as it would have done in those days, that wasn't on your phone. And you look at it, it's just this kid looking into space. He couldn't care less that he was in this kiddie car. Mm. And it just, we sort of looked at each other and thought, there's something not right, is there? This isn't, you know, as well as having a very difficult babyhood. And we um, asked the health visitor, who was pretty good, because usually you'll get a stop fussing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah especially at that age, yeah. Yeah. Um, he had his first assessment about 14 months old. And then he had a couple of little you know visits from different people and at 16 months old he was diagnosed so he was pretty young and he's he's you have to be careful with the terminology really but he's, he's he is severe he has yeah. severe needs um he's severe learning disabilities he's non-verbal but he's also non-communicative so he doesn't understand language what we give to him so that can be quite challenging he doesn't communicate with us at all apart from dragging it'll take our hands and point it at something yeah, and that's only to very minimal the three or four things he'll eat and the things he wants in a shop. 
um, which never toys. It'll be a CD on a shelf because he just loves his music. Other than that, he doesn't have any need to interact or communicate with us. He's he's loving if you want him to be. <laughs> you go and give him a hug, he'll give you one back. But other than that, he doesn't come searching for it. Okay. And he could be quite a, a miserable or, you know, he doesn't want to join him. But he's a lovely lad. He's happy. He's quite content. Loves school. And he's, yeah, he's just plodding through life, really, which is, I wish there was more for him sometimes. And I know there's not a lot in adulthood which is a bit of a worry because that's approaching first. Yeah, we'll definitely we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit because I know okay. that's, that's sort of something that, that you're quite passionate about. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Okay, so, so Ben was diagnosed around four, uh, 16 months and then I'm assuming he went to a special needs school in the early yeah. days. Yeah, he went to a special needs nursery straight away yeah. and then special needs school straight in, no no questions asked. It was a not, That was easy. It was amazing how easy it was because he was so so in need of we didn't have to fight for anything we were lucky um there would be no other way they could educate him to be honest so so that's been that's been fairly easy he's changed school a few times and each of those moves which you think could be quite traumatic have been really easy for him he's settled in well he actually has one-to-one school uh, one-to-one support even though he's in a special school and he's always got on with his tas and in his current school he basically um looks after the chickens spends time in the polytunnel and goes in the sensory room because they've got to a stage where if he's not learnt numeracy and literacy and colours and shapes by the time he's 16, why are we bothering trying to push that? Why don't we do life skills and have yeah. fun? Yeah. Which is how it should be, really. And give him a good time and make sure he's happy. It's, um, so, yeah. And then your daughter? Aisha, A-Y-E-S-H-A. It's a bit of an unusual name. She's 13 now, and she was... We knew from the age of probably three that there was something she was she had needs, and I'd assumed straight away she's autistic. I was working by the time she was three, I'd set up a carer center and I was working with um hundreds of children with special needs and disabilities and autism across a project I was running, so I had a bit more awareness than I did in the beginning, and it was fine, but no one would listen because she was fairly able. Mm. Um, but she she hit most milestones, but she just couldn't make friends, couldn't share. There's lots of situations she wouldn't tolerate. She used to have the most amazing meltdowns, not tantrums. They were definitely meltdowns and emotionally drained afterwards. Literally take an hour, almost sleep for an hour, almost like a seizure type of, you know, post-seizure exhaustion. And we fought for a bit. We pushed harder when she got into primary because by the end of the first year she was a year behind she'd gone nowhere and by the end of year two she was like 18 months behind so this is hold on we're going we're only going backwards almost here yeah. so she's she still had no diagnosis at that time no or, she's only yeah. had a diagnosis two years now oh wow okay it took us eight years to get one agreed so that was a frustration mm. so i've seen both both ends of the scale i've seen the really quick simple diagnosis and i've seen the have to fight everybody and threatened to take them to court type diagnosis and when she was finally diagnosed at 11 it was like um i don't know why anyone hasn't said this before she's clearly autistic it's like you just bang your head on the wall it's really not helpful to hear is it so and was that because i know you mentioned you moved a a couple of times did you get a diagnosis because you'd moved like was it a different area before yeah yeah so we moved down to devon when she was nine and we'd been trying before and been basically ignored. She hadn't even been started to be assessed. Couldn't get anyone to take it seriously. 
And when we moved down to Devon, we just pushed harder and it happened. And it was, yeah, it was, um, definitely that it was a different, different people. It was still a challenge. We had the head psych saw her first because the school were really supportive. Um, we were lucky she was in a primary school with 26 children, only two classes and there's only two in a year group. And she just stood out immediately. Um, the teacher was great. The head teacher was great. I mean, that's about it for staff, but the, um, they had a Senko who went over a few schools and she was brilliant and got an head psych in who said, you know, I'm not allowed to diagnose, but if she's not autistic, I'll retire. She really she's just, yeah, he's, uh, I can't even say that, but if, if, you know, if she's not, then I will go. And, um, he did actually write it in a document and got in trouble by it from education because they don't like it at all. He's like, you're not meant to be diagnosing children. It's ridiculous, really. But everything was just coming out as, um, uh, you know, a, a classic autism di- you know, level. It was just the, the real ticking the boxes. But because she was a girl, she was masking quite well on some things. Yeah. Uh, but she's always, Aisha spends a lot of time on YouTube learning how to be a young girl. She watches videos of children playing and she then goes and plays how they've played, if that makes sense. So she's, and she used to come home and spend hours replaying her day with bits of paper or bits of cardboard or bits of wood she just have some little jenga blocks and write all the children's names on them and replay the day over and over again because she couldn't work out why something had happened so she sort of taught herself to cope which is great but it's also not helpful when you're going for the diagnosis because ah oh, she's fine and so yeah it took a little while but we got there so it's intriguing why it seems to be in girls so much that they mask so well and that... it's isn't it it's just amazing isn't yeah. it like what, why are the boys at a similar age or a similar place on the spectrum why are they not masking as much yeah one of my thoughts is that um it's girls and boys behavior so yeah if a if a boy in the playground isn't running around being loud he's walking around holding the um the dinner lady's hand or he's sat on a bench being quiet you might notice him or he might they might might be always a bit shy um he he, he might stand out but he's a, you know it, it's um if a girl's doing it sorry she she's she's a bit shy if that makes any sense mm. if a boy's doing it it looks a bit out of place so um two girls want to just sit and talk about dolls but really they're sort of 12 13 years old Oh, that's okay. They're just a bit young. Whereas if a boy's doing it, they'd be picking that up straight away. I do think there's a bit girls have just gone under the radar and then they leave school, find the first boyfriend, first person to show them love and affection. They'll marry, they'll have children, they'll go through life happy, plodding along. But actually, how? what have they missed? Mm. By missing out on their autism, how much of life have they missed? And they've just gone on the route of what they're meant to be they think they're meant to just be this housewife or do this job they've been given and carry on with it forever but i do think boys by not being boys by not running around and being rowdy and loud that's one way they're picked up um not not playing team games and things as such not fitting in whereas if you think about back to your school days in the playground there were girls sort of sat on the benches and sitting in the corners chatting away a lot of the times and seemed a bit more okay didn't it yeah, that's that's very true. It's not the answer. I mean, there's still massive. What you know? How come boys aren't masking? And yeah, it's yeah, it's fascinating and it's sad as well because I don't believe personally. I believe it's probably fifty-fifty. I don't believe that more boys are autistic. I think, especially at the rate that girls are now being diagnosed in the last few years, 
it really is accelerating. And I think it'll be quite sad to find that we've missed so many girls over the years. You're right. I think it's it's going to change a lot in the, in the coming years. And I'm sure there's even, you know, people who we may know in, in common, you know, who, who seem to be getting diagnosed as, you know, yeah. as much older as, you know, autistic women. Um, yeah. It seems to be a lot more common. Yeah. It's, um, but it's great that they can, their lives doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's a shame it's so late, yeah. but it's, it's great that suddenly things start to fit together. It's, uh, it's tougher. Yeah. So, okay. So what's it like at home? You've had three autistic children all living <laughs> together. Um, you know, what's the dynamic like when they're all together under the same roof? So Ben doesn't interact with anybody. So yeah. he's got his, he's got his own room and Ben's, um, for the last, four years five years had a downstairs bedroom because he broke his back twice so he broke his back yeah he, wow. fell, he fell, fell over in a playground at school oh, it's a bit of a story in itself really and then was sent to hospital because he wouldn't cooperate they sent him home and he was bed bound for three weeks in pain then nine months later he fell top to bottom down the stairs knocked himself out had to go into birmingham children's hospital when they managed to x-ray, um, they did a um, CT scan on him. They said, well, he's fractured his spine, but he's there's an old fracture. He's done it before. And we thought, oh, that'd be Easter then when yeah. everyone said, you're not cooperating. So, yeah, so they don't have his back's a little bit delicate. So we avoid stairs. He's very clumsy on stairs anyway. I think he's probably got dyspraxia with, with everything else. There's no point even looking at dyspraxia. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter, but he's... He's not confident on steps. So we have downstairs bedroom um, for Ben and he just sits in there loudly playing music and um, shouting at people if they go near him. And then Aisha tends to, she likes being around people. So she will play in the lounge. She'll take over the coffee table and have toys everywhere. Absolute <laughs> tip. Mandy will clear up and it will look lovely. And then she'll, she'll be saying, shall I take a picture? Because you guarantee Aisha's been home 20 minutes and it's yeah. just an bombsides absolute she's into horses and she just got sets up her stables and horses everywhere and bits of paper for hay bales and bits of paper for children riding but she likes to be around us and have telly on and things like that sammy likes his own company he likes to be upstairs aisha and him get on really well we, we've always said sammy's probably got a mental age of about 11 12 and she's like a, a young young teenager really and they both like WWE wrestling. They both like Doctor Who. Um, they both like gaming. So I shall go and spend some time with him, but he'll boot her out after a couple of hours because he wants his own space. But it kind of works quite well. They're in three zones almost. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we've never had any fighting or anything. Aisha uh, and Ben don't really communicate. Ben and Sammy probably don't know they live in the same house because they're not awake at the same times and <laughs> don't even know they exist. So, yeah, it's... It, them three as individuals is, is absolutely fine and life just happens it just you know how it is mate you just have to get on with it don't you and people go you know how do you do it with three well how do you do it with two and how do you do it with one yeah you just just have to um that's a fair point. it get it gets stressful we have we have moments we choose to live very remotely we moved down to Devon from um, Dudley in the West Midlands. We moved down to a very quiet area in, in Devon and we had an opportunity to buy a house. So we moved to Wales where we could afford something. And we live, our nearest neighbour we can't see or hear. And we we live sort of 
there's a tiny village a mile away nearest towns 15 miles away um, and in the village there's only one shop and we just don't see anyone and we kind of like that we're not reclusives but we we we've got our kids yeah we've got our big garden we've got our dog and our cat and we live our own life we don't have lots of people in and out um gets a bit sometimes you wish a bit talk to people a bit more you know it's lovely chatting to you today it's it's nice to sort of you know communicate with people but um mandy and i are close and we uh we just have a a great life really and the kids are fab and as it's challenges ben's eating routine winds us up a little bit because he only eats toast and he constantly grazes so he constantly has toast made in a certain way so it takes five ten minutes to prepare and then he'll literally eat it in a minute bring it back for the next one (laughs) and you sort of just as you sit down he's like up again and then there's a 10 minute gap and then he's doing it again and it's all day and sometimes you just give me five minutes but he won't ben would out um outweight anybody he will literally stand there with his plate in his hand um longer than anyone <laughs> i know that feeling i've got two grazers who uh i mean luckily they eat a much wider variety of foods but yeah they're all day constantly uh dragging you back to the kitchen cupboards yeah uh, n- never seem to be full yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. And as soon as Ben is full, he um, he does his business, we'll say, and uh, then he wants to go again. He'll start yeah. eating and he would literally just, <laughs> and, you know, that happened two or three times a day. We let him. Yeah. He's, um, ben doesn't eat for pleasure. He eats for function, um, we've been told. So he has absolutely, he only eats toast. Literally, he'll go through two loaves of bread a day if we let him. And he eats because he feels he has to eat and fill himself up. Um, but he's not enjoying it and he's only drinking because he's eating which means when it's hot he has to eat lots because he wants to drink lots and it all just makes us makes the cycle all a lot faster mm. so it gets a bit frustrating if you sort of want to do something in the garden for a couple of hours you, you can't even mow the lawn without having to come in five times it's a then it's a bit like just give me an hour and then yeah. then i'm grateful for school days Summer holidays are quite tough in themselves. I try and stay positive. I, you know, I try, I try really hard, but yeah, there, there's some days when it's a bit much. But, um, I've also got to remember I've got three amazing kids, and I, you know, I could be a lot worse off. So, so it sounds like you and Mandy have obviously made a lot of adaptations, should we say, to sort of how you live and to ensure that the kids have have the best out of life. I don't know, like how how do you cope having sort of three full time kids to look after well i i had to give up work partly by choice to be fair i was mentally struggling i, I had a breakdown in 2002 uh, 2003 the year after ben was born everything hit me especially just after his di- around his diagnosis mm. and i got worse just after his diagnosis um i was struggling i had a job i wasn't liking i was i was trying to hold down two jobs run a business it just it was ridiculous my life was a mess and no time for family or anything and i just completely burnt out and had a nervous breakdown and it took me a few years to recover and even to this day i mean you said some of the stuff i write about i'm very open about my mental health yeah. and i think it's really important um especially especially for men especially for dads and especially for dads of autistic children and children with disabilities it's absolutely okay that you know sometimes you break sometimes your head feels a bit rubbish um because anyone who doesn't is probably lying to be fair you know sometimes you're gonna it's all gonna get a bit much so i took the decision to become full-time carer 
and Mandy went all the way, always wanted to be a nurse. And so she went off to university to train and did that. At the moment, she's taking a career break. We're taking a bit of time out, mainly because we think when Ben's 18, 19, he's going to be pretty much home full time. Yeah. So then she's going to, then she's going to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> we sort of retired temporarily to take a bit of time together. But she said, yeah, they'll pop back to work when he's, when he's full time at home, which is great. But yeah, we, uh, I, I I became full time full time dad full time carer, and I got bored of it after the first day. And um, I went off and set up a charity and all sorts of wonderful and weird things. But always the kids came first. So I was home for time for them to get home from school. I was at home if they were poorly. I was at home holidays and weekends and evenings, and it just works around the kids. And if um if they have to come first. Um, so when it's also a great excuse if you don't want to go somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh no, sorry, I can't make it. But um, it's like yeah, they, you you just sort of change your life, I guess. It's in in the same way as you do when you first have a child. If you go yeah. from not having a child to having a child, and your friends will change overnight, and because those who haven't got kids will just be bored of everything you're saying, <laughs> and. Um, you they just don't have time for each other. It just life changes, doesn't it? Um, having kids with special needs, it just changes a bit more, I guess. And you spend a lot more time in hospitals and clinics than, than most people do. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you mentioned there uh, that obviously Ben's got a couple more years and then he's going to be finishing school. And like I said earlier, I know I, I've seen you sort of speak and write about should we say the lack of provision available for for adults with disabilities yeah. what's from your experience obviously you're you're quite a few years ahead of me in in terms of how old our, our kids are what is there out there at the moment very little i mean i'll be honest i haven't made it easier for ourselves moving to the middle of paris yeah. in the middle of wales and we're, we're, i'm very aware of that so i don't blame the system for that but i was in the middle of dudley in the middle of the west midlands and there wasn't particularly anything then outside very typical daycare provision which i i wasn't interested in in that certainly in what was being offered certainly wasn't anything for sammy and always very much about employability which won't work for ben yeah and i was involved in the employability stuff for a while i had a carer's cafe and i employed people with learned disabilities to help work in the cafe and i had um, a bar and an events place all all to raise money for carers and we worked with people with learned disabilities to give them opportunities for employment and that was everything from cleaning to setting up for functions and things but I wound myself up with it that the only opportunities for people with learned disabilities tend to be catering or cleaning and there's a, a conversation going on, on on one of the Facebook groups at the moment I was having with um with bringing us together or um the, my family our needs uh, just about talking about employment for um, adults with special needs and it's a, it's great but it's always the same thing and then I read an article today about a young man um, I search every day for news about news stories about disabilities and autism and then I share the stuff I'm interested in and I shared one about a young lad called Elliot who's finally found a job and he's really happy and he's cleaning and it's talked about the organization has now placed five people in cleaning roles and they're really proud of it i'm thinking it's the same stuff <laughs> it's, it's great and I'm, elliot's really happy that's really lovely for him but is that what elliot really wanted nobody ever stops and says 
Elliot, what would you like to do with your life? Yeah. And could we can we make that happen? Elliot might be able to run his own business. Who knows until they ask Elliot. And people might think, oh, he's gone mad now. But why Why not? At the end of the day, he's not stupid. He needs support. And I've seen people with seriously profound disabilities running organizations with a team around them. You know, they're the brains of the business. And they've got people around them doing the stuff they're unable to do because of their disability. And five years ago, 10 years ago, we would have laughed and said, oh, he can't be doing that. But it's becoming absolutely acceptable, and that's how it should be. Unfortunately, the provision out there tends to be, if it exists, it's now privately run daycare provision because local authorities all been outsourced um, or shut. And to be honest, it's not far off where, where you'd stick your granddad. It's not. And I just don't agree with it. I don't think it's what we want to be doing. There's more to life. Or they end up sitting and painting with potatoes all day and it's a you know i can i can chuckle about it but after a while it's not funny and is that what we really want for our kids and part of me is like, it'll get ben out of the house for a few hours a day yes it will but is there a cost to that and is that what i want him to do and yeah. is that the only thing he can do and you'll have this in a few years it's a, it's a, there's an, an internal battle to be had of it yeah i mean it's something if i'm honest that i've been too scared to even start looking at um I don't, I don't obviously blame it's, i've got another eight years for jude so i guess in in my mind i'm hoping things somehow dramatically improve not only through jude's own development but also through funding and things that are available that um yeah that there's a big big change in things but but yeah i you're right what is there out there that 18 to 18 plus person with autism is made available for them yeah it's exactly that. And it's about, so Sammy's just got um, approved for direct payments, which you probably know about. Um, he's getting six hours a week and he's going to employ a buddy, a PA. They get called different things in different areas. Um, he'll have a personal assistant. We're looking for a guy with a car, who young guy with a car, who will basically go out with Sammy, go and have a coffee, go shopping. Yeah. He wants to go down to Cardiff, see Doctor Who stuff. He'll want to go to Comic-Con every year. He might fancy a concert every now and then. Stuff that I can't be bothered to do, but also something he doesn't want Dad to do. You know, yeah. you don't want your mum and Dad there when you're 25 years old at a blooming concert. That's yeah, as bad yeah. as it gets, isn't it? And Sammy's able to go to that stuff, but he needs full support while he's there, and he needs to get there. But that's great, and he can save his hours up he's not going to go out every week with somebody he might have you know nothing one week and 12 hours the following week or he might have an overnight stay in london or something that's that's good that stuff needs to be invested in and then more of that but everything else is pretty much small organizations or charities picking up some funding being clever with money and coming up with innovative projects or not innovative projects i'd like to think they're all innovative but they're not some people are getting clever, some good social enterprises starting up. But all oh, David Cameron's big society, which never happened, that should have happened. What they did is they shut down, I don't want to get too political, but they shut down one end of the market. They said, right, we're not going to fund this stuff, which conservatives don't want to do. They don't believe in nanny state, which is fair enough. But then they didn't help big society really take off to anything. So they didn't fund it. And there's no money to then, you can't do something with nothing. Yeah. And... People need the investment and it comes down to they start saying, well, it's going to cost you, mum or dad or carer, and they want £20 an hour. And it's, you can't afford that for a six hour project five days a week. No, that's it. And especially 
you know you, you're having to stay at home to be able to to care for for the kids as it is you know how, yeah. how do you afford to to then pay for you know your your young adult to yeah to have something to do it's hard it's mm. it's it is scary i don't blame you for not looking um i i wouldn't look if i didn't have to um but i am it is crossing my mind and it's we had somebody come along to ben's last um he just had an EHCP, but moving to Wales, it's statements again. We're back to, we've gone backwards 20 years. But we had his last review meeting and they'd brought somebody in from whatever the organization's called. And she's there to look at what's there for Ben for transitioning. And she's, she hadn't met Ben. So she started talking about job opportunities in college. And we said, it's not for Ben. Yeah. And, she's like, oh. and it took her 10 minutes to realize that Ben is has severe needs. And she's like, oh. Well, I don't know then. I'm going to have to go and research. We never heard from it ever again. She ran away really fast. <laughs> but but they, the truth is there isn't anything. And I don't blame Powys. I, I do blame central government for a lot of it, unfortunately. That's, that's the way it's going to have to be. There are people trying to do some clever things, but there aren't enough people doing clever things and they haven't got enough money. And we need we need more people doing more stuff, but the money's got to come from somewhere. It shouldn't have to come or come from the parents, really. It's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if I said, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm I'm going, you have my three children. Um, I've been told categorically Ben would cost a million pound a year to care for, and the other two would be, you know, half that. But it's still a lot of money. So two million pounds to look after my children, even if it's one million to look after all three, I think you can put some money in to make sure that I don't give up caring. But they don't, they rely on you and me and all the other people to just carry on knowing that we're not actually going to turn around and go, oh, we're packing it in. Um, so they don't have to fund it, don't they? And it's, it's sad, isn't it? It's it's really sad. And I know I've spoken to parents who have used that threat before for yeah. their much younger children to, um, to get help because yeah. they've begged and pleaded and it's gone on for months and months and months. And then even though they're not ever going to leave, they've had to threaten as if they were. And yeah. it's sad that, you know, that's the point you have to get to. It is sad, yeah. In an ideal world, if there was all this funding available, like, what would you imagine life would be like for for Sammy and for Ben when he finishes school? Like, what, what would you like to see available? Sammy, I think, would just like to access day stuff, like almost like an adult youth club. Mm would be great for him go along have a game of pool a pub but safe yeah he's not gonna get into a fight when someone he knocks into someone because he's got terrible coordination and he will knock a drink over somebody and he will then blame them because somebody's never wrong um uh but somewhere safe where he can just go and chill out and have a laugh and if he does get upset someone can support him and help him to understand what's going on possibly work opportunities but it's got to be something he wants to do sammy's got ability to do a job but it's got to be the right job and it's got to be supported so it'd have to be the right environment it'd be great if he was working alongside one person for example in a safe environment but in a supermarket it would just never it would fall apart day one um because he he'd start fighting with a customer or something or <laughs> you know just he'd tell his boss what he really yeah. thought of him you know it's just never going to go well ben is more challenging but just to have some fun, just mm. to access life, almost like the stuff they're doing at school. So he goes, they go out places, they go and explore, they do a bit of learning, um, they do a bit of cooking, even though Ben will never eat it. 
I'm, I'm quite happy that it is a daycare type model, but it needs to be more than what they do in the daycare where they can't afford to go out anymore and they're very restricted with the activities they can do. You need like a big school with a sensory space and a place to go and run around for 10 minutes. And that that's the sort of things that need to exist across the country for our children when they grow up. You hit the nail on the head though. That's I've imagined before, like a, an adult special needs school in a way that, yeah, you know, as you said, has sensory rooms, has swimming pools, has yep. you know all the things that they love at school. That, yeah, the bikes and the yeah. spinning round stuff in the in the playground and the sensory toys and it's someone's got to fund that yeah. and, uh, and and it'd be staff heavy. But then what's the option? Yeah, it's you know it won't be for every kid, but it'll be for our kids. You know, just yeah, it's a tough one. All right, so we've spoken obviously about Little Blue Cup already and how the difference sort of that makes to people's lives. And I know obviously you blog as well alongside that. As you said, you share sort of news articles and you you do talk about mental health a lot, which I think is great and 100% agree it's really important for everybody, but especially for for males, for dads who probably do, don't speak enough about these sorts of things. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that, about that sort of side of things and, you know, what, what you hope to share with everyone. I hope that people can start caring for each other a little bit more. Um, mental health needs to stop being a laughing matter ever because it's too often a joke and we get too many people bringing it up in comedy still. I don't think it's funny. People need to understand it and not be ashamed of it. So if you broke your leg, you wouldn't pretend you hadn't broken your leg. If it was in plaster, you wouldn't wear baggy trousers and pretend try and walk straight, hoping nobody noticed. You'd get people signing your plaster. I'm not saying people have to sign your head when you've got <laughs> mental health problems, but it's absolutely okay to go, I'm really not coping. Yeah. I'm really not well at the moment, and I just need everyone to understand. And I think one of the things that bugs me mostly about it is the people who mean well, but don't understand is they'll sit there and say it's okay to talk um come and uh, call on me if you need me i'm always there if you're in the i don't know your mental health dreams but if you're actually in the middle of a crisis if you're actually in the middle of a i can't cope and i'm not even sure i want to be alive anymore the last thing you're going to do is go i know dave said i could pop around if i ever wanted to you're not going to dave's house you're not going to text him you're not going around there um you're not going to chat with him on messenger you're not going to tell dave what you need is Dave to say, how you doing, mate? And, yeah. I'm right. No, how are you really? Because you don't look well. Oh, I'm struggling a bit. Come on, let's go to the pub. You know, ask twice, ask three times. When you don't get the answer you're expecting, or you, the answer you know is right. Um, because they, what's our stock answer when someone says, how are you? It's fine, yeah, exactly. isn't it? It's, I'm, oh, I'm okay. I'm, and yeah. and uh, people right. often just want to take, they want that to be true, so they take that as... As the yeah. truth. Well, also, we don't ask people ask, expecting or even wanting yeah. an answer because we're passing them in the other side of the road. We're just being polite. Mm. So we don't want them to sort of drag us in for a coffee and a chat for an hour because we're too busy. But with our friends and our family and the people we love and, and you know care for in the world, we at least one of us needs to stop and say, how are you? And check in on them occasionally. I'll put it on Twitter some, every now and then. I just go, how, how is everybody? How, how are you out there? Because I bet so, nobody's asked you lately. And I'll always get somebody to go, I'm really struggling at the moment. And it's really random stranger I've never met on Twitter. <laughs> and it's just somebody thinks they're being asked how they are. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But no, no one's asked them. And 
I think we can really change the world just by trying to understand mental health a little bit better each. I really do. And taking away all stigma, understanding you're not going to lose your job over it. You don't die. You don't. It's not the end. It doesn't have to be. If you feel like suicide or you don't have to end your life to feel better. Um, you know the stats, I'm sure, but it's the biggest killer in men under 45. Yeah, I've sort of learned that over scary. the last couple of years. And yeah, it is scary. If that was cancer, we'd be doing something about it. If it was a virus, they'd be doing something about it. But because it's some, it's mental health problems, it's a bit, ooh, we've had the adverts in the past and we've had campaigns. I just don't think it hits it right. And I just will constantly share my... So if I feel that I'm going down and I'm able to, because I do still have some really dark days, I suffer from anxiety and depression. And both can be really, really horrible. Um, I don't know how much you know about either, but both of them can completely take over your life. And if I feel myself going downhill, I'll tell people and I'll keep updating them as I, how I'm feeling. Not to reassure them, but so they know if I'm feeling bad and they know how it works and they can sort of learn and see my journey, if that makes any sense. It sounds, it sounds a bit of an odd thing, sort of saying it back, but get people actually interested of what's happening, not in a morbid way, but people care. And I've got quite a nice group of followers who I've never met who really do seem to care and send me lovely messages. But I'm doing it hoping people can learn. And if one guy picked up and said, help me to somebody, or one guy went and asked his friend and helped him, that's kind of my job done as far as I'm concerned. If I could help one person realise there is a, it is okay and life can be shit and life with you know what life with children with special needs can be bloody horrible you can get some dark days when you don't know what's going on you've had a long day maybe you haven't slept for two days with the kids maybe um you haven't been able to talk to a friend for a while and it's winter and the weather's horrible and your skin and everything can go against you can't it you know your car needs service and you haven't got any money for anything and you could just feel that it couldn't get any worse and it's times like that you just need someone to help you out and just to go, it's, it's okay. We've been through this. It's okay to feel really, really low. I just think more people need to talk about it and more celebrities need to come out. There are there are lots of celebrities in the last couple of years who come out and said about their mental health, which is good. But more need to, because I bet it affects most of them, to be fair, especially in that industry, which is up and down roller coaster. It's, yeah, the more people who can share about it, I think the more people will be helped. So. And I think that's... One of the great things about social media is how it that conversation is happening more and more now, and people yeah. are coming out and saying things. and And one of the powers of blogging, like you said, you know, you put something out there, and you've got followers who genuinely care and who share their own challenges and feelings with you. And you know, yeah. the same for me. Blogging has massively helped my own mental health. Yeah, and it's amazing how many messages I'll get from people who are struggling who find it easier yeah. to talk to me than they do to their family or friends or because maybe because it's got the safety of online and you're not face to face as well but also i guess just because they see something that resonates in you've got a similar story or similar challenges or you understand what what's going on in my life so i feel like i can unload and and say yeah. this to you and, and it's transforming for people um I think it is. I think it really is. It's so important. I think it can make such a difference to people's lives. It's it's good on both sides. It's good for you yeah. as a blogger, but it's good for them. They feel like they've got someone they can 
you know, they reach out to, and I put all sorts of stuff on my, I mean, most of my stuff is news, but I put all sorts of articles and things and I get people like, don't stop. We need to yeah. know this stuff. And I'm, I'm, they're outraged, but they want more outrage. Mm. They want to, they want to know that, you know, this stuff happens and it's, um, mental health i mean i've been sharing a lot about the autism treatment unit the sorry, assessment and treatment units the atus where the, the young lady called beth has been locked away yes um, i think been fed through a hatch that might be how i actually found out about this, this story is, is through one of your articles or from on twitter okay. yeah it's basically she's uh she's been fed through a hatch and given heavy medication to keep her calm and her life just fallen apart her dad can't get at her yeah. And then when she, it did look like everything was going well, um, they put her into a three-room unit with a full team of staff, full-time staff. It went wrong. They put her straight back into isolation. And not only that, the staff have gone and reported to the police. They each made a complaint to the police. And she's like, and actually, this is mental health. This is all we're talking about here is learning disabilities, mental health um, struggles and misunderstanding. And we shouldn't be locking people away. And that's that's where people are going to get scared. Who's going to reach out and say, help me, when they hear stories like this? Who's going to say, help my son, when they hear that's stories like exactly that? That's exactly what I thought. And getting back to, you know, services available for adults and stuff, is I started thinking, well, yeah. you know, once Jude or Tommy are 25 and big boys and, you know, they have a meltdown out in public and yeah. you don't want other people to be involved. You want to just keep them at home away from, you know, not, run that risk of ending up yeah, in that you situation. Yeah, wrap them up in cotton wool, yeah. don't you? Wrap them up in cotton wool, keep them safe, um, keep them away from it all. It's it's scary stuff and it's got to change and it's it's all the same story. It's all mental health and the complexities of it and we need to stop locking it away. We I thought we got over that many, many years ago and care in the community but it seems we haven't. We've got some dark stories in this country and we need to start looking at different ways of looking after people um, and the more people are aware, the more people can challenge it and say, and that's exactly what's happened. It's gone all over social media, not from my, my sharing, you know, I'm one of many, but people have been outraged. And now Matt Hancock, who's the, um, the health minister, has ordered an inquiry, whether it'll go anywhere, we'll wait and see. But he's you know, said, this has got to stop. And it's possibly the beginning of the end of these, yeah. these units, yeah, which so. would be lovely. Because we don't want our kids heading anywhere like those sort of places. No. You know, they, they need... They need a great adulthood and a, a great future, don't they? Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it leaves me speechless, that story. Um, it's hard, mate, isn't it? It's it's pretty tough going. You didn't have to have an answer, but yeah, it's, it's one of many, unfortunately. And that's the other sad thing, I guess, is when you hear stories like that, you miss out on the other cases. We've got one, she, uh, Beth's quite high profile now, and people are following her story. And there's other parents who then tweet every time that story comes up. Like, don't forget about yeah. me, almost, you know, waving their flag and they're not being recognized. And her dad's going, best dad's going, we need to get everyone together. We need to do something, collect these people and these stories because it isn't just Beth. No, of course not. Beth's the, yeah, she's one of Beth's the flag waving one. Many. One of too many, yeah. It's, um, but yeah, that's my interest in mental health, really. I've got my own stories, but it's about, I feel passionately helping other people. And I think we can we can support each other. And if say if it was a broken leg, we wouldn't be hiding it in baggy trousers, would we? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to a final question, a couple of things. Firstly, just want to make sure that everyone can find uh, all the great work that you do. Um, so do you want to tell everyone how to find Little Blue Cup and your, your carer's blog as well? 
yeah so little blue cup um you can find littlebluecup.org online for our website most of the fun stuff happens on our web page just go to facebook and type in little blue cup one word no spaces and it'll pop up and follow along um there is a page called little blue cup project which is slightly different that's more about the story behind it so you just want the little blue cup page um and we'll share our searches on there and you'll find me um on facebook by searching for original grumpy dad one word and you'll find my website grumpydad.co.uk i'm on twitter at, um orig grumpy dad if you wanted to look for me there um o-r-i-g grumpy dad you don't sound um, like and all the other stuff <laughs> yeah i have my moments mate <laughs> i get i get outraged and furious <laughs> but yeah i'm pretty chill to be honest i used to be grumpy uncle mark to all my nieces and nephews but um i've got over it. that was that was my uh depression time but yeah i've got over it a bit now but yeah i'm pretty pretty chilled out to be honest and i just wanted to thank you um number one for coming on today and sort of sharing your story telling us all about your lovely beautiful family um letting us know more about your kids and what autism's like for them and and what it's like for you you five as a family thank you that's well, good to come on thank you for and, having me it's you know the the way that I found you, the, the Little Blue Cup story and the work that's gone on since then with it is fantastic. I know it's made a difference to so many families like, all across the world. Yeah. And it's very clear from everything you do from your charity work many years ago to you know all the, the stuff that you do now that you really do care about other people and you're, you're trying to make a difference, which is fantastic. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. So final question just before we go. What's one thing you'd like to leave everyone with to let them know about autism? Wow. Um, autism isn't what you think it is. Autism is amazing. And every single person who has autism is completely and utterly unique. And they've all got their own story. They've all got their own future. They've all got their own opportunities. And everybody who has autism should be treated as a, as a complete and utter individual. So, no, we can't build a place for autistic people when they're adults. And we can't have jobs for autistic people because they're people that each and every one of them is completely unique. And what we should be doing is taking every personality and seeing how we can make their life and their future the best we possibly can. And I think that's how we, that's how we make the world a better place. A massive thank you to Mark for our chat just then. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. I knew that Mark would be a great guest. Um, not only does he do amazing work with Little Blue Cup and really helps so many families across the world, it's something that many of us don't think of, but it can, you know, that one item going missing or being broken can cause such an impact on an autistic individual and their whole family's happiness, really. So it's a great idea and I'm so glad that it's taken off. I'm sure you'd agree after that chat that Mark's a really, really dedicated father and it was really interesting to get to hear what autism is like for his children and what it's like for them as a family. So I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening and there'll be a new podcast next week.